Have you always thought the Old Testament feasts were only for Israel? If so, you may be in for a surprise today, right here on Messianic Perspectives. Shalom and welcome to Messianic Perspectives, a daily program where we look into the scriptures from a distinctive first-century Jewish point of view. Today, our Bible teacher is Dr. Gary Hedrick, president of CJF Ministries. Gary's topic for this current series of studies is the Spring Feasts of the Lord. He's explaining how the seven feasts in Leviticus 23 are not only significant in themselves, but also how they collectively form an exciting outline of God's prophetic plan leading up to the second coming. I'll be back at the close of the program with news about a special offer. And now, here's Gary. Right, thank you, and welcome, listening friend, to another edition of Messianic Perspectives. It's good to have you with us as we continue this study of the spring feasts. And in case you're just tuning in, these feasts were special appointments during the year when God told his people to come together and meet with him. And you know, when we started this study several weeks ago, we said, that's an awesome thought. The thought that the God of the universe would want to meet with us. And the more we realize how holy and righteous he is and how sinful and unworthy we are, the more awesome we realize it really is. He loves us and he wants us to love him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to fellowship with him. It's an awesome thought. Now, it's interesting that some of the liberal theologians say these feasts are antiquated and that they are outdated because they're a throwback to a bygone era when society was basically agricultural or agrarian, because the schedule of the seven feasts is basically a schedule that corresponds to the agricultural calendar and the different uh, seasons of the year. The spring feasts represent the time of the year when crops were planted, and And the fall feasts represent the time of the year when crops were harvested. So to some people, this whole system of feasts is outdated because we don't live in an agrarian society anymore. But let me tell you why I think that argument doesn't hold water. I think society today is just as agriculturally oriented as it ever was. You know why? Because we are just as dependent on crops as we ever were. It's what we eat. If you think we're not dependent on agriculture, just wait until someday when the farmers go on strike. You'll go to the grocery store and the shelves will be bare. And you'll say, wow, Gary was right. We are just as dependent on agricultural and on the seasonal cycles as we ever were. It's just that we don't realize it because the farmers today produce so much food and because they are so reliable. One farmer in America today produces enough food to feed something like 30 or 40 people. It's amazing, but it doesn't mean that we are any less dependent on agriculture. Now, it's true that society doesn't revolve around agriculture like it used to, because there's a much smaller segment of the population actually involved uh, in farming and in agriculture. But if anything, 
that makes the feasts even more important because we need to be reminded of our dependency on agriculture. We need to be reminded that it is God who sends the rain and makes the crops grow. We need to be reminded that there are people who go out there and plant in the spring, and then they go out again in the fall and harvest what they planted. You see, we've gotten away from these things. Our kids today, our children today, just sit in front of computer screens, many of them, and they absorb all that stuff that comes over the net through that tube. They don't know what it is to get out there in the fields and to work and to sweat and to get dirt under your fingernails like many of us have done. So these feasts are relevant in many ways. And don't let anybody tell you that they are out of date because they're tied to the agricultural cycles of the year. If anything, that makes them even more relevant today than they ever were before. Because in modern industrialized society, we are less aware of these seasons of the year than our forefathers were. But we need to be aware of them because they remind us that man lives by the sweat of his brow and that we are dependent on what comes out of the ground. So, this is what we've been talking about, the spring feasts. And when we got sidetracked a couple of days ago, we were talking about the ways in which Passover and unleavened bread point to Yeshua the Messiah. We had actually stopped to talk about the different animals that we read about in these passages because the sacrifices were a central feature in all of these feasts. Now, why do you think that was? That's right. It's because sacrifice was the only way sin could be dealt with. And every animal that was slain in the Old Testament was driving home a point, And that is that sin has to be paid for. A price must be paid. Redemption costs a life. Atonement requires blood. You see, that was the point. And every single bit of it was fulfilled in Yeshua the Messiah. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the one to whom all of the sacrifices pointed, because he was the Lamb of God. But we said the sacrifices didn't always have to be lambs. In fact, goats were often offered as sacrifices. In fact, a lot of people don't realize this, but they were allowed to sacrifice a goat at Passover. So instead of having a Passover lamb, you might have had a Passover goat. That's right, and it was okay. But the most famous goat of all is the goat that was killed on the Day of Atonement. In fact, we said they actually took two goats on the Day of Atonement. They drew lots, so they knew which goat was which. And we said the first goat was sacrificed to the Lord. Then we said the second goat was called Azazel, or literally, goat of removal. This is where we get the term scapegoat. When you say someone is a scapegoat, it means he's being held responsible for someone else's wrongdoing. Aaron laid both hands on the head of the scapegoat, according to the Bible, and that symbolized the transfer of the nation's sin for the past year to that goat. And then someone took the scapegoat out of the camp and out into the wilderness, and then they just let him go, never to be seen again. And when the man came back to camp, he had to go through a whole ritual of purification to make sure he wasn't contaminated with the nation's sin. So those were the two goats on the Day of Atonement. One signified the payment for sin, and the other signified the removal of guilt. And by the way, 
way, guess how they determined which goat was which? They had two goats. One was going to die, and the other was going to be released into the wilderness. All the Bible says is that they were to cast lots to decide which goat was which. But how exactly would you do that? Well, the Jewish people today have a tradition that has been passed down through the generations. It's been preserved for us in the writings of the ancient sages of Israel. We call it the Talmud or the Mishnah. Another source is the Midrashim. And I don't mean this to be offensive, but it's true that there's a lot of nonsense in these traditional writings. A lot of it is just arguments and debates back and forth between this rabbi and that rabbi. But there are also some very interesting facts. Preserved in these writings. And this is a good example because the Bible doesn't tell us how they cast lots back in the Old Testament to decide which goat died and which goat lived. But we know what the traditions say. And here's what the traditions say happened. They say the Kohen Gadol, or the high priest, stood in the Azarah, or the temple courtyard. Uh, Kohen is the Hebrew word for priest, and Gadol means great or high. So the high priest is Kohen Gadol, or Kohen Hagadol, the high priest. Now, according to the Talmud, the high priest stood in the courtyard, and on his right was an assistant priest, and to his left was the leader of the priesthood on duty during that week. Remember that the priests worked in shifts or courses, and they changed periodically. They changed shifts. So the high priest has these two men, one on his right and the other on his left, each one holding a goat. Now, one of the Levites would bring a wooden box and place it before the high priest. Inside the box were two wooden lots. One had written on it, La Hashem, which means for God. And the other one said, La Azazel, which means for Azazel, for the scapegoat. And here's how they drew the lots. The high priest put both hands inside the box, and without looking, he took one lot in each hand. The lot in his right hand was placed on the head of the goat on his right, and the lot on his left hand was placed on the head of the goat on his left. That's how they decided which goat was which. And we would have no way of knowing how it was done if it wasn't for these traditional Jewish sources. Now, is it possible that these traditional sources are wrong? Of course it's possible. In fact, we know that some of the medical cures in the Talmud are nothing but hocus pocus. And there are other mistakes and folklores and legends in the Talmud. A lot of superstition. But most of what it is is simply arguments and debates between different rabbis about how uh, the law should be interpreted or different shades of interpretation of the law. But in the midst of all this material, we find strains of information that we know are very, very ancient. Some of it goes back to way before the time of Christ. We can identify customs and practices, even in the New Testament, that are based on these traditions and teachings of the ancient sages of Israel. The Sermon on the Mount contains material from traditional sources, for instance. So we know that Jesus himself was familiar with the oral tradition, and he wasn't always opposed to it like some people think. Sometimes he quoted
noted it favorably, like his reference to the seat of Moses in Matthew 23, 2. We don't have time to get into it, but it's from Jewish tradition. When the leaders of Israel sat in the seat of Moses, it meant they were successors of Moses as leaders of the nation. So not everything in Jewish tradition should be discarded. In fact, some of these traditions are part of our heritage as Christians. But we're out of time for today. I don't know where the time goes, but we'll continue with this on the next program. Until then, this is your friend Gary Hedrick saying, God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Gary. And thank you, listening friend, for tuning in today. It's always good to have you with us, whether you're listening from home, at work, or in your car. This is Messianic Perspectives, and you've been listening to Dr. Gary Hedrick talking about the Spring Feasts of the Lord, the seven annual meetings outlined in Leviticus 23. We have all the programs in this series available in a set of three CDs packaged in an attractive binder for a suggested contribution of just $18. That's the three CDs entitled The Spring Feasts of the Lord by Dr. Gary Hedrick for a gift of only $18. Just visit our secure online store at MessianicSpecialties.com to place your order. If you would prefer to order by mail, just address your request to Messianic Perspectives, P.O. Box 345, San Antonio, Texas, 78292. To order by phone, use our toll-free order line from the U.S. The number is 1-800-926-5397. Have you enjoyed this edition of Messianic Perspectives? Why not continue to learn about the Jewish roots of your Christian faith by inviting a speaker from CJF Ministries? Call our toll-free number 1-800-926-5397 and we'll be happy to handle all of the details. And as always, when you're in touch with us, please mention the call letters of this station. If you're listening to our webcast or podcast, we need to know that too. I'm Liz Aiello. Join us next time, won't you? As Dr. Gary Hedrick continues our series of studies on the Spring Feasts of the Lord, right here on Messianic Perspectives. Perspectives is sponsored by CJF Ministries of San Antonio, Texas, and is made possible on this station by the free will contributions of our listeners in this area. Music